Question number nine. Uh, how can we possibly read 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15 and still be in support of women teaching? Are you going to read the passage? Yep, let's just start by reading it. So I'm going to start um, at 1 Timothy 2, uh, verse 8 and read till 15. So therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. Yeah. There's a whole bunch there that's kind of that's pretty confusing, really. Yep. Um, opens up, um, yeah, a whole bunch of uh, issues and, uh, yeah, feelings, and, and there's quite a lot of strong feeling around uh, that passage from, yeah, both angles, really. Um, hmm. kind of, yeah, it's emotionally charged, and therefore, yeah, it probably needs to just be walked into, yeah, gen- gently rather than um, abruptly. Uh, but just to kind of set the scene a little bit, I think there's... Yeah, three three ways of reading it uh, broadly. One is uh, quite a strong literalist uh, way of reading it, which is you read it as it is, um, uh, and so it's just it it firms up, and that's you know you read it as it is, and you treat it as it is. Every single uh, word must be held um, as uh, yeah, particular authoritative um, to the now. To so. Um, there's a whole bunch there that you have to hold, yeah, hold intention. Uh, yep, um, but just reading it straight. Um, the other option um, uh, is to be to treat it as irrelevant, so it has nothing to teach us. So it's just so far irrelevant from the culture that we're in um, that we've moved so far past that idea of life like that. That um, yep, that it's just irrelevant, and you just don't read it at all, really, and just kind of ignore it. Um, so those are the two kind of wing ideas. Um, on the far, two or far ends of the spectrum, uh, most people will be somewhere in the middle where they're not reading it fully literally because there's clearly some cultural nuances in the passage. Um, so that's, that's clear. And also it uh, seems to touch on some things that are very relevant. You can't just ignore it. Um, one, because of a theology of, dog, of God's word. Um, if we just if we just like, oh, we just ignore this passage, then what other passages can we ignore? And then what other issues do we fall into? Mm. Um, so what we might do is we'll just walk through the passage and uh, try and pick up some key things as we go and try and work out, yeah, work out what it says. Or mm. what I think it says anyway. mm-hmm. uh, so starting in verse 8, uh, um, Paul starts st- setting up this structure where I think he says a universal, um, a universal idea uh, that's true and then follows it with a culturally appropriate kind of way of, uh, culturally appropriate comment to the particulars of um, the Ephesian church in 1 Timothy. So in verse 8 we see, uh, we're talking about the public congregation, therefore I want the men everywhere to pray. That's the universal comment, men everywhere should pray. Uh, and the particular is lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. 
that there was particular things going on in the context of uh, that church about false teaching that was causing division and pain um, and a whole bunch of stuff going on. So there's a universal comment, I want everyone to pray, and there's a particular cultural comment. Uh, and he does the same thing again. He goes, I also want women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves. And verse 9, uh, and then skip the middle bit of verse 9 and go to verse, end to verse 10, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. So there's a universal comment. And then he gives a particular comment to the current culture. Not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes. Um, now, if you're gonna, it's really complicated to go, we're going to take that and then hold that to a modern-day context. It's, it's creating a restriction that the gospel never seems to create and isn't created anywhere else, um, that women should no longer be wearing um, wedding rings and they should never, there's a certain level of how expensive their clothes are and they shouldn't go get their hair cut. Um, mm. So it's creating, creating a, yeah, so, so it's creating a particular of the culture and universalizing that um, causes a whole bunch of problems because there's simply not enough words or details there to know what, what that means and that doesn't seem to be Paul's intention. It seems to be that those things in that particular culture at that time were the obstacles for the universal idea. So the universal idea, also women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves with good deeds of perfect women who profess to worship God. So there's an orientation of women towards worshipping God and those particular things for that particular culture at that particular time were an obstacle for that. And then comes to the controversial, controversial passages, uh, where I think the structure is maintained that is just picked up from through eight, 8 through 10, um, goes into 11 and 12. Uh, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. Um, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man, she must be quiet. Um, the key thing to recognize in uh, this passage is that the, um, in the Greek, the imperative uh, is not in verse 12. The imperative uh, where the emphasis, I think, of the phrasing is is um, a woman a woman should learn. The emphasis on the command or the big exclamation mark is on women should learn, which for that culture was, was humongous, that that wasn't the norm. So there's a raising of the bar there for a woman of, um, you are of value, you are of equal value to men. Um, men were already learning, um, but women get should learn, they should learn, and do so in a quietness and full submission, uh, I tell you that's full submission to the word, not, not to just all men universally, but full submission to, um, uh, to the teaching. Uh, and the, quiet, uh, the quietness is not necessarily about volume, um, because then it's not, it's not like men should be loud while the teaching is going, as, as they learn. Um, but the quietness refers particularly to the ideas of uh, without disruption and with harmony and with rest. Yeah. And also, I mean, if we think back to um, the Gospels, when like, there's a story that totally comes to mind, the one of Mary and Martha, where um, they are sitting with Jesus and Martha's running around getting dinner ready. Uh, Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet, uh, listening, and Jesus um, encourages Martha to come and learn and says that uh, Mary is doing what's important in this moment. So, yeah, that that idea, that passage really conjures up kind of the image of that story um, of, of Jesus. Mm, yeah, yeah. Um, so picking up that, that structure that Paul sets up of a universal idea, then with a cultural particular universal idea, women should learn in quietness and full submission. Uh, and the cultural particular, I do not permit women to teach or to assume authority over um, a man, she must be quiet. There's a whole bunch of 
um, interesting uh, yet Greek sentence stuff here that um, that needs to be that is disagreed upon by um, scholars and people <laughs> that are much smarter than me. Uh, um, particular things like the word uh, the word used for authority there is a hapax hapax logomenon, which means that it's only used once in the whole of the New Testament. Um, uh, there is a fair bit of agreement that when they look at the word used in other places and other texts, it means exercise authority. Um, but we don't have a context for how Paul is using it, so it makes it just makes it more complicated um, in that context. Uh, and then even what is the relationship between those two phrases? Is it um, teaching with authority, or is it two different phrases? I don't permit women to teach, or to assume authority over a man. Um, yeah, that creates that creates uh, the way you read that creates a whole bunch of um, different results and particular ways of reading other parts of the Bible. Uh, yeah, uh, where I where I sit on that is um, that particularly verse twelve is speaking to a particular context, particular time uh, that there um, were women that were um, that within the context of the church, within the context of the false teaching uh, that one Timothy um, is written about and in response to. Um, there was a woman that were um, assuming authority, it was inappropriate, and they, um, in terms of uh, the leadership of the church, uh, and they were teaching things that were misleading and incorrect um, from uh, what had been received from um, those above. That's from, yeah, chapter 1. Uh, so the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about and or what they so confidently affirm. I just think that's such a delightfully kind of... Um, like you, yeah, yeah, dramatic phrasing. You can really imagine what that might look like. So, yeah, in the context of this place, there were people very confidently talking about things they had no idea about. And um, that really kind of fits into each of these three instructions that are given. Um, but, yeah, particularly this third. Yeah, the other, bit of, other part of the context, uh, particularly to think about... Um, oh, I lost it as well. I just read it and then I lost it. Um, from 1 Timothy 5, uh, there it is, um, uh, where it's talking about a women that uh, are getting in the habit of being idle and going about house to house... Not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. Uh, and so there's just this this idea of that there are, in that particular context, there are ways in which um, that is um, playing out where women are yeah, not sitting under the authority of the word, not sitting, and they're not uh, learning, key thing, what are they to do? To learn, they're not doing that in a way that is um, not disruptive, but a way that is harmonious and in full submission to that teaching that has come uh, that's come down before. Um, and I think that makes um, better sense of what happens in verses 13 through uh, thirteen through to 15, uh, which, um, yeah, again, there's so much disagreement about, but <laughs> the, way, the way I read those is, uh, verse 13, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. I was making a comment about the actual, the order of their made. So Adam is made first, and then God gives, when you read it uh, in Genesis, uh, God gives the command um, to not eat from the tree, uh, and to you know serve in the garden, and that's their purpose to yeah, to um, uh, tend the garden. Uh, that's the purpose, and that's given to Adam. And Eve is born uh, born second. Adam passes that teaching on to Eve, um, but it is not um, Adam that is first deceived. It is the woman who is deceived. She does not learn uh, in a 
way that uh, in a quiet in the quietness of harmony and in full submission. He doesn't submit to that one command from God. God says, eat from every tree, any tree in the garden except for this one. Uh, but she does not learn. She does not seek to sit under that uh, that teaching. And then that has outcomes for everything else that followed. So I think Paul there is using an example of, um, here is a time when um, someone chose not to learn, particularly speaking to women in this context because um, they're doing that. I take it also that men should learn uh, should learn in a way that is mm-hmm. quietness and, ha- and harmonious without causing disturbance and in full submission. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, They've it, just been doing that for hundreds of years. Yeah, so well, uh, yeah. I mean, in another context, they they're not, but in mm, this context, well, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, in this context, not uh, they clearly are. Uh, and and that's the instruction given at the beginning of two, um, that we may all live peaceable and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. That's verse two. So that is given to everyone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, and then the, the interesting verse of verse 15, uh, just a brief comment, but women will be saved <laughs> through childbearing, they continue in faith, love, holiness of propriety. Uh, at almost at one point you go, if you're reading it, you know, particularly badly, you go, look, there's two ways for women to be saved. One, they can have kids, or two, mm. they can follow Jesus. If um, you're a fan of, there's a show, Victoria. I was just watching that the other day, and um, when she has, this Queen Victoria has a baby the first time, and then she does this weird little, like, church service where... Um, they're just like, okay, you're good now. Like you've had a baby, that like now you're saved. And it made me think of this mm. passage. I was just like, wow, yeah. yeah. Anyway, side note. <laughs> <laughs> side note and super important. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I think the yeah the clearest way to read that is uh, when we say through childbearing, that's referring to Eve giving birth um, to kids, uh, and then from there the descendants of those. Um, uh, of those children will be Jesus, who will be the one that will crush the snake's head, mm. removing the curse, the one whom we put our faith in, um, the one whom, whom we trust for salvation. And so it's not a comment about you have to have babies or you're not saved. Mm. Uh, it's a comment about um, Eve has children, and through that child, um, yeah, yeah uh, people, well, well, both men and women are saved, but yeah, particularly speaking of women in that situation. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, some brief follow-up thoughts. Uh, um, when you, if you read this literalistically, that um, women are not allowed to teach uh, and nor are they allowed to assume authority of a man, um, that causes some real problems with other parts of the Bible. It creates a real inconsistency um, with stories in Acts where you have um, Aquila teaching Apollos. Um, Priscilla. Sorry, Priscilla. Um, well, they do it together. Priscilla and Aquila are teaching together and teaching Apollos. Mm-hmm. Clearly there's a moment there of authoritative teaching uh, um, yep, and so it just seems that that creates a bit of a yeah, an interesting situation, and also just creates ideas of um, what what version of manhood do we follow? Like, um, yeah, when when does a man become a man? And it seems to create some issues there. And also, if if they um, if it, what is the reason for which they're not allowed to permit? Is it because they are ontologically or epistemologically um, not able to actually? They're less good at teaching. They're more likely to be deceived. Mm. Um, then why does it just stop at men? If women are more likely to be deceived, they shouldn't teach anybody. Mm. Um, that seems... It seems like Paul doesn't go far enough. If he's saying that they are more likely to be deceived, then why would we let them teach youth ministry and kids ministry? I'm sure that we should protect those spaces as well because women are being deceived and they're just likely to teach deceiving things there. So just to be, to be pushing at and being consistent with... 
yeah, the logic of that passage, if you're going to read it as um, a literalist way, um, find, mm. I find really complicated to, to work out um, and whether you can have female service leaders in that case and a whole bunch of other stuff. So, mm. And then reading it in context of um, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, 26, um, uh, where it, uh, when Paul says, brothers and sisters, uh, if you have a, a word or instruction or a hymn, uh, or a prophecy, um, which clearly in the public gathering, um, then you should share that in order to build up the, build up the church. Hmm. And so, it like there is some sort of teaching thing that goes on there. Um, the word teaching is not used, and so yeah, there can be a fair bit of discussion around that. Hmm. But at least um, reading this as women can um, never teach in any form uh, seems to create uh, some disagreements with other parts of God's word creates a fair bit of confusion whereas I want to read all those things in unity and I think yeah, you can do that when you look at the context of that passage and go the, the structure that Paul has set up of the universal followed by a particular to the culture of that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah and the problem really yeah like you're kind of talking about that when I have a friend and she introduced this idea of like the acrobatics that uh, we do in churches to kind of make it right so you might um, have kind of different people on the stage so that it's okay kind of jumping through these hoops to try and make it fit. I think when you start doing that, um, you just, re- yeah, you kind of question like why you're doing that. And I mean, it really reminds me of the different little acrobatics the uh, Pharisees would do about, um, oh, we can't kind of have, um, we can't break this rule, so we'll put some extra rules on around it so that we don't do that. I think you're really missing the point. And when you read Jesus' words to the Pharisees, he um, is really concerned with their hearts and their, um, yeah, just where their hearts are at in Mm. in their practice. And um, so, yeah, jumping through those acrobatic hoops, just stop and have a think about, yeah, what is the heart behind this passage and behind your practice? Um, Yeah, it gets gets really tough. So when you're – there are lots of very godly, very wise, uh, very brainy people who have thought long and hard on these issues and have come to different different ideas, different conclusions. And so it is difficult uh, to do ministry together with people who disagree. Um, and some people will definitely break fellowship on this. So they will say, no, we cannot be part of the same church. Um, we cannot agree. Um, and then there will be others who uh, it's not it's not a key and core issue that they will still be able to be in church together. Um, in, yeah, lots of churches, staff members will have different ideas, but they'll be happy to go along with whatever the uh, senior minister has has decided is um is the way to go. Yeah, that kind of just depends on well, different church structures and how those all play out. And um, we're part of an Anglican church, and so um, yeah, the the rector or the senior minister guards the doctrine of the church. So um, yeah, we've worked in churches where women have been allowed uh, have been encouraged and allowed to preach, and other, in other churches where women have um, yeah not been allowed to preach. Um, but in both those churches, we worked together harmoniously and shared the gospel mm. and did mission together. Um, my one thought is, if you're gonna, if, um, if you're holding to the the stronger, literalist um, version of yeah that passage, um, then uh, you still preachers still need to be listening to females in some space to make sure that they're um, speaking in ways that the other fifty percent of the congregation can understand that. 
Um, you make sure that all the people they are speaking to can hear mm. the gospel clearly and understand how to grow and follow Jesus, um, which, yeah, means, you know, and for, the, for those contexts, often um, with sermons I'm doing, Erin um, and I will chat about those sermons. Mm. A lot, often Erin's heard all the sermon before it gets to Sunday, <laughs> and she's like, I remember when we talked about that at the kitchen table. Yeah, sometimes I didn't even realise that that was what you were going to preach on. I think, oh, I agree with that. Yeah. Um, most of my best ideas and sermons come from her too. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, but, yeah, just, I think as well, like, to encourage women, if, if all... Um, there to do in the church is preach to other women, which is wonderful, but just to encourage that to actually happen, yeah. um, to create spaces, to, um, yeah, create roles in the church where uh, there are women encouraging other women uh, and, yeah, encouraging them to uh, deepen their theological education, yeah. uh, just to make those spaces uh, for women to to teach each other um, and, yeah, just really honouring that as well in the church is, is very important um, and just so valuable. Some of the most amazing teaching I've heard has been from other women. Yeah, I've heard lots of wonderful teaching from men too, but it's, um, it's a very special place. Yeah. And I think that that can happen in lots of different ways. Even if you've got women uh, preaching in the kind of main gathering to have have those um, ministries of women to women. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, and so kind of tie up all those things. Yeah. <laughs> I think that when I look at um, scripture and God's story, it seems like the key qualifications for preaching are, are less about gender mm. and more about character and faithfulness to the gospel. Mm. And That's all in 1 Timothy 2. Or 1 Timothy well, 3, yeah. Well, yeah, I meant two as well. It's tricky, isn't it? Oh, so complicated, you know, numbers everywhere. Mm. Uh, yeah, and so it's more about more about character. Um, yeah, and so it's not saying that um, all men should preach or all women should preach. That's just not true at all. Mm. Um, there's a, there's definitely limitations on who should preach and thoughtfulness um, around that. Um, so that's how, when you're reading 1 Timothy 2, really looking at that and going, all right, clearly the teaching is really valuable and important. Mm. And so it can't just be like whoever does it. It's actually really important that they are speaking truth and representing the gospel. Mm. All those good things. Yeah. Final thoughts? I think we got it. Yeah, I think we've solved the most controversial passage in the whole Well, Old I mean, the question really is how could you read it? And so... That's how you may disagree, and that's okay. But I think you, whatever your thought is going to be, maybe this is my final thought. I think a lot of people just have a standpoint or a viewpoint um, based on, I don't know, like what their church does or um, traditionally what they have thought. Um, But I would like to encourage you to read the necessary passages, delve deep into the Bible, uh, talk with your friends, talk with um, the staff at your church um, and try and get like actually a, um, like a, a strong opinion um, that is an informed opinion. That's important, isn't it? Yeah, the idea that 
Well, we found that with a few a few crew in our church that they had these opinions, but they realized, oh, I just kind of received those from from the structures or from off offhand things said, but never thought through it themselves. And they might land at the same place that, mm-hmm. um, that they they already thought, but um, they'll yeah have integrity about that decision and yeah, and really understand um, yeah. yeah where they stand in that. Yeah, I think you could probably say that for pretty much everything. Yeah. Informed opinions are the best opinions. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating. Just as just finishing up that thought, um, just thinking about the the pastors that I look up to and the books, the people of the the people that I read their books and I listen to their sermons and podcasts and stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, there are some that I respect deeply and have influenced me incredibly. They completely disagree with me mm. um, and how I read this passage and both still followers of Jesus seeking to you know, work out how to share the gospel with people. Mm. Mm. Yes, good. Done. All right, next question. Cool.